So yesterday, I'm a little tired today. Last night I was asked to work in the evening and I was up till uh, 1.30 this morning working on a project for work. And my first reaction when I'm asked to work a weekend is, ugh, this is family time. But it's funny because when my wife asked me to help her set up her classroom before school starts, or my oldest son asked for help moving into a new apartment, my first reaction is, ugh, this is me time. So which is it? Is it family time or me time? I think the answer is the latter. It's about my time. What do I get to do with my time? How do I get to set my schedule? How I want to be in control of my timeline? But what do I actually do? I do my duty at work and I work the Saturday night. I love my wife and son, so I help out with their needs. What we're really talking about is the sacrifice of my time. A sacrifice, what is that? Well, it's giving up what's yours for someone else. Now, the Bible is full of stories with the word sacrifice in them, stories of those giving up what's theirs, what they've earned, built, or accomplished, or achieved for God. The Old Testament is where most people go to hear these stories. I think the most common thing that comes to mind when we think about sacrifices are the animal sacrifices in the Jewish temple. According to Jewish law, you would sacrifice animals that you kept or purchased with your own money and would offer them to the priest to sacrifice them as a sin offering to God. The idea was simple. You made mistakes that put you in a bad spot with God, and by giving up a calf, or a goat, or a lamb, or a pigeon, depending on how much you earned, you could make things right with God, provided you were really sorry. The other classic Old Testament example of sacrifice, I think, is the tithe. The first fruits, they called it, the 10% of their earnings for the year, given to the priests. Now, in the Old Testament, God commanded that the priests be responsible for all the sacred tasks and leading God's people. And God commanded that everyone else would help support the priests because the priests didn't have jobs or couldn't own land and grow crops. So you'd sacrifice a tenth of your food for the priesthood to support them. Now, these, the idea of these sacrifices in the Old Testament was a love offering to God, that you loved God so much and wanted to be right with him, you'd sacrifice the animal. That you love God so much and you wanted to be supporting his community, so you'd sacrifice for the priests. But what happened over time is that this obligation, this Jewish obligation, um, became more of a duty to God. A tax, if you will, on the people. And so by Jesus' time, it had become a ritual, a thing you had to do. It was still a sacrifice, but one born of duty, not love. Because there's two reasons to sacrifice what's yours for someone else. The most common reason is duty or obligation. I'm talking about a contract. A citizen works hard all year long, only to give up a large portion of that hard work as taxes at the end of the year. But the expectation is the government will provide services and protection to the citizen. A soldier or a police officer swears to give his life for country or community in exchange for brotherhood and a paycheck. An employee like me works a Saturday to keep his employer happy so they'll keep employing me. Contracts are great. They provide give and take, something we can both agree to, something that's not unreasonable, something that benefits both of us. Now contracts can be legally binding or they can be just social contracts. I give a gift to my Aunt Betty because she gave a gift to me. I help a friend move, but I expect them to be the first to volunteer to help me move. 
I make a show of helping out a church so I can get praised and admired by others. You give something to get something. There's nothing wrong with that. Duty and obligation keep the world moving. And many righteous and generous acts are committed under duty and obligation. I think this happens even in, um, in intimate relationships, like in marriage. Sometimes we help a spouse out with something because we know we want them to help us out with something later on. It happens with parents and kids. Kids will do something great in order to get praise and reward from their parents. So duty and obligation covers a lot of the reasons we give up what's ours for someone else. But there's another reason to sacrifice. It's the reason that God intended. Love. Love can be a very powerful reason to give up what's yours. So how does love differ from duty and obligation? Well, duty and obligation are what the Pharisees were doing in the, Old, in the New Testament. They were working very hard to get the, the, the Jewish people right before God. They were really earnest in this. They weren't trying to be bad guys, but they really felt that if you had to follow through on these duties and obligations to be right with God. But when Jesus came and said, that's not the way to get right with God. The way to get right with God is starts in your heart. Starts with love. Now let's see what the Bible can tell us. We're going to do a little walk through some Bible stories, all New Testament. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get this story that Jesus had returned to his house. He lived in Capernaum. And as always with Jesus, a big crowd gathered. By this time, word had spread that Jesus was a great healer and a great teacher. So people packed into the house to hear his words. And there was no way to get in. Now in the story, there's a paralyzed man. Now, obviously, being paralyzed, he had no way to go see Jesus himself. But he had friends. He had four friends that took him to see Jesus. Now, they couldn't get through the crowd to see Jesus. So the friends cared enough to take the man up to the stairs to the rooftop, bringing their friend. And then they took apart Jesus' roof to lower their friend down, the paralyzed man, so he could see Jesus. Now, if I'm Jesus, my first reaction is, do you know how much roof repairs cost? <laughs> Couldn't you have waited a few hours for the crowds to die down and just walked in the front door? But it's fortunate for them and us that I'm not Jesus. Jesus' reaction was much different. It says in the story that because of the friend's belief, because of their sacrifice, he healed the paralyzed man. Now, he doesn't heal the paralyzed man because of the paralyzed man's belief, but because of what the friends did. Jesus saw something in this friendship that caused him to show love, not anger. Now, what do we take away from this? One thing I think is that time is a critical thing we can sacrifice. The friends took time out of their lives to bring the paralyzed man to, be, to meet Jesus. Now, time is a really critical commodity. It's something that all of us are entitled to, and I think as I get older, I find that I value time more and more. It feels like it speeds by faster and faster, so it becomes more and more precious to me. So it's a sacrifice when I have to give it up to help somebody else out. But I think the other thing to take away from this is that a loving sacrifice is unconditional. What strikes me most about these friends is that there is no way they could have expected anything in return from their friend, the paralyzed man. They gave their time without expectation that this guy would be able to help them move or help them with their jobs. The guy was without income, being paralyzed, so they wasn't gonna help them financially. They gave selflessly, and I believe that's one of the hallmarks of sacrificial love. When we give selflessly, we give for the sake of giving. We do without the expectation that somebody's going to do the same for us, that the favor will be returned. 
that we'll get praise for our time and efforts. The friends weren't looking for praise. You don't tear apart a man's roof and hope for praise. They gave it because they loved their friend and were willing to take risks and not expect a return on that investment. So when you give out of love, give, let go of expectations. Give for the sake of giving, not for what it'll do for you. I want to jump to another story, this time in Mark. Jesus was bored, apparently, because he was sitting and watching people put their offerings into the, um, the temple offering box. And he discerned a poor widow. Now, this poor widow put in two copper coins, which I did some research. To give a sense of the value, two copper coins in Jesus' time would buy you five sparrows. Now, I've, I don't know if you've seen a sparrow, but they're pretty small. There's not a chicken. <clears throat> so you're not going to get very much food off of five sparrows. I'm thinking this is likely a couple dinners at best. So what would we say today? Maybe 20 bucks? That's not a lot of money. It's not the kind of money that's going to change things. It's not going to help pay the bills at church or provide much of an outreach. It's a drop in the bucket. But Jesus calls special attention to this little gift. He says that the widow gave far more than anyone else that day because she gave all that she had. This was her last two copper coins, her last 20 bucks. She didn't have anything else to go on. And Jesus calls attention to this gift, and I think it's instructive for a couple reasons. One, it tells us another thing that we can give, which is money. Money is a sacrifice as well. And Jesus felt that money was, giving money was important enough to spend part of his day just watching people do it. And clearly money is important to us. The church doesn't run without money. Outreach doesn't happen without money. People and organizations can't function without it. Giving money is a great sacrifice to make. But the other thing this teaches us is how the sacrifice happened. What separates the widow's sacrifice from the other people who were sacrificing their money at the temple? I think it was because it was an uncomfortable sacrifice. Jesus saw the others giving larger sums, but they weren't sums that were going to impact their lives. They were giving out of duty and obligation. But the widow gave all that she had. She was risking going hungry, going homeless in her gift. It was going to change the quality of her life, and Jesus loved her for it. When we give out of love and not duty, it can be uncomfortable. It can feel like it's going to change us, perhaps cause a little suffering on our part for someone else. Sacrificial giving hurts a little, and that's okay. Now, this isn't Stewardship Sunday, and this isn't a tithing talk, but I'm most reminded of a friend of mine from my last church who was a successful attorney. And it was around Pledge Sunday time, and they were doing a biblical tithe of 10% to the church, and he lost his job. Now, a biblical tithe, that means you're going to drop your pledge way down because you're not making as much money, and it's, that's, that makes sense. But they decided to make a sacrifice for God, trusting that God would work it out and wanting to repay God for all the blessings that he had given them. So they decided to keep their pledge exactly where they had left it at. Now, it worked out for them. He found a higher-paying job and was able to increase his pledge even more. But at the time they pledged, it was very uncomfortable. The last story I want to go over is the prequel to what we heard a few weeks ago about Jesus feeding the 5,000. So before the 5,000 gathered, Jesus sends out in Mark his disciples to go and preach his message and heal the sick and cast out demons. So the disciples go away for a while and they're doing all of this work for Jesus. And after they regroup, everyone was exhausted. Jesus as well. Jesus calls the group to do what we call today a retreat. 
not a battle retreat, but like a corporate retreat or a church retreat. You know, there's so many things in the day-to-day world that distract us and keep us kind of bogged down. And so you take a retreat, you go somewhere else so you can focus on things outside of the day-to-day. Sometimes you just relax and get away. The story says that Jesus and his disciples had been so busy that they hadn't even had time to eat. So this retreat was really necessary for them. They really needed some alone time. But unfortunately for the disciples and Jesus, the crowds of people saw where they were headed to toward this retreat. So they got there ahead of them. And by the time Jesus and his disciples arrived to relax and recover, there were 5,000 men and women and children. And we know the story about him feeding them. And the gospel says that Jesus had compassion on the crowd and began to teach them. What does this story tell us about love and sacrifice? It talks about the third kind of giving, I think. We've talked about time and money. This one talks about giving yourself. Jesus was constantly giving himself. He was always willing to listen to those in need, to speak reassurance to those who were struggling with hope, to give kindness to people in bad situations. Giving oneself can sometimes be the hardest sacrifice because it involves being vulnerable and authentic with other people. It's hard to listen to somebody else's problems. It's hard to give good advice. It's hard to be truthful to yourself and hear what other people are having to say. But that's a type of sacrifice as well. And I think the other thing this teaches us about how we sacrifice is that sacrifice is unlimited. That is to say limitless. Jesus and his disciples were hungry and burned out. What they wanted most to do was to retreat and take care of themselves. We've all felt burnout before. You know what that feels like. But Jesus felt love for the crowds and still gave of himself and started to take care of them. This could be the hardest thing to sacrifice, our own needs for someone else. Jesus put the needs of the crowd above his own. Life feels like it's full of limits. Only so many hours in the day, only so much energy we have. There's only so much listening we can do. There's only so much we can give, only so much we can hear. But that's where sacrifice comes in, where we say, I can't. Jesus is teaching us to say, I can. I imagine that's the hardest thing to give, when you feel burned out, exhausted, beaten, or otherwise at your limit, to know that God has empowered us to still do more. Now, I want to be clear. There are such things as unhealthy giving or pushing yourself too hard. If your giving is going to cause harm to yourself or someone else, it's not a good gift. It's not, a, it's not the right sacrifice. If you're going to make yourself sick by pushing too hard, it's not the right sacrifice. But at the same time, we often feel that we're at the end of our rope and we can discover, with God's grace, that there's still a little more to give. So to summarize, loving sacrifices. Sacrifices made for those we truly care about have three characteristics. One, they're unconditional. They expect nothing in return. Two, they're uncomfortable. They can hurt a little. And three, they're unlimited. They push us beyond our perceived limits. The last story I want to give you is the story that brings us all here every Sunday. It's the story of Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice. Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. Not a story of duty and obligation, but of love. Jesus' love for the Father who wants a relationship with his children. And his love for us to make us right with the Father. His gift was unconditional. There's no way we can pay it back. It was uncomfortable to be sure on the cross. And it was unlimited in its grace. God's word lays down the blueprint for loving relationships, whether they be between friends, spouses, parents, and children, or between us and God. Loving relationships require sacrifice, and God has shown us the way. Amen.